If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? So let me take Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. And it's been kind of quiet, honestly. Not much craziness going on. But I do have Andrew Ramondi back on the podcast because with the lull that there is in the NBA calendar right now, post-summer league, post-free agency, post-draft, it's been like a month now, we could kind of digest everything, evaluate all of the things that have happened in free agency, and kind of take everything in, synthesize it, and evaluate um, all the moves that have been going on, and kind of talk about some of the bigger overarching themes that we've gathered from these past couple months this past month or so and just kind of talk about all the things going on um moving on into the future um Damian Lillard he pulled out of the FIBA World Cup all that type of stuff <laughs> yeah so um welcome Andrew thanks for having me man I mean it's been a little while since we've talked because I know Kawhi, uh, the Kawhi trade and the Westbrook trade both happened since we last talked. Yeah, and I, I did like 3 a.m. emergency yes, phone calls with my brother. Say, I actually think in the moment I wanted to give you and your brother a lot of credit because I think you guys doing those reaction podcasts in the moment, are it's tough to kind of necessarily have perspective in the moment. But I think you guys hit on a lot of like as we did it, as you guys did it, I was like, that's I feel like what. You know, we would have talked about a week after the fact for a lot of for a lot of that. So, you know, it's good to come back and maybe break down things from a little bit more of an NBA head, you know, philosophical slash nerdy perspective. But I wanted to tell I was telling you an anecdote before we started. And I wanted to because I just think it gives a good example of like what we're now look the wreckage kind of we're now looking mm-hmm. back on. I was having lunch with a, I'm I'm working at a law firm this summer and I was having lunch with with someone today and they were just asking me about my interests and stuff and I said, you know, I really like the NBA. And he was like, Yeah, well honestly what's going on in the NBA like literally this is what he said. He's like, what's going on in the like I've tuned out for like a year and a half. What's going on in the NBA right now? And I was like I, I don't even know where to start. I was like, so in the last CBA, um, and LeBron started, like, literally at one point, he was like, so wait, what's player empowerment? Like, I was just like, it was just like me trying to wildly ex- sum up, like, the hours and hours of shit we've talked about on this podcast into, like, two minutes. Well, I think that you bring up a really interesting point, and maybe, I don't know, this is just, like, a side point, and we might get sidetracked, yeah. but... For as much of the NBA talk like that's going on on podcasts that we follow as like NBA heads and like someone someone that I mean as like super fans of the NBA like we follow it on a daily basis and all that type of stuff even in the off season like I would say a good majority like a lot of people just don't even tune in to like what's happening unless yeah. you're like a hardcore NBA fan. I was having similar conversations today with a couple of the interns that I was working with, and they're just like, yeah, like, Kawhi's on the Clippers, right? And, like, talking about LeBron and AD and, you know, just, like, surface-level type of stuff where we don't 
talk about that stuff and we kind of try to get a little bit deeper and it becomes really interesting to talk about like the popularity of the NBA in general in comparison to maybe the major four sports like with M- with the NFL kind of picking up like I got my fantasy football like invite this past week I think it's a little early for that yeah, I, it's I was like it's definitely I was like early for that in the group chat I was like can you guys contact me in August before yeah. we even start any of this stuff so like how that popularity ranks with all the other sports and i I would say like in the internet like on the internet and like through twitter and instagram like the nba is like super popular but if you look at tv ratings and things like that and you make some of those comparisons it's not as popular or nowhere near as popular as what an average nfl sunday football like viewership would get yeah, and I know this is actually kind of I, – I remember Zach, Zach Lowe talked about this on a podcast recently. But just to compare it to our why, try and keep it. Because I don't – you know, the financial growth of the NBA and stuff, like it's definitely interesting to me as how it as how it then impacts the league itself. But I don't necessarily care about like how much money the league is making. But I think what you do raise is a good point, especially – I was thinking about it kind of in reference to a conversation we've had on this podcast, which is like the transactional game versus the games like that are on TV or whatever. And like has the transactional game surpassed the, the, you know, the actual NBA stuff. And I think it's having like conversations like that are important in that they give you a little bit of perspective in that like even if it's just as simple as, like, Twitter and NBA podcasts are not real life necessarily, that, like, even I have friends who are casual fans of the NBA, but because they're on Twitter or because they're friends with people, you know, you you kind of absorb it through osmosis that way. But it's important to realize that the majority of sports consumers or people like that guy I had lunch with or someone like my dad who, like, turns on an NBA game once in a while and, you know, watches it. Like, and the guy knew, like, he knew that the Raptors won the finals, you know, right. and, and the Warriors generally, but isn't necessarily like, oh, my God, the Thunder of eight first-round picks, you know what right, I mean? Right. Or like, Chris Middleton ends up signing a max <laughs> and, well, like, yeah, breaking I don't even think, sh- like, I stuff think like that the down. only one. Yeah, but, you know, just like that, The tr- at the end of the day, like, the NBA's popular, like, m- has a ravenous but popularity, of course, and you know, it's still. I still think it's probably the most popular Ameri- other than football. It's probably the second most popular, uh, you know, American sport. Yeah, obviously. and it's like taken it By away far. from baseball and yeah, all that type of stuff. But um, but yeah, that like at the end of the day, like some of this stuff is is, you know, that like at the end of the day, that I don't think it's taken out. O- that aspect of things has taken a whole like is kind of niche at, at the end of the day. I mean, it makes for content on Sports Center and talk radio. Like my dad listens to sports radio here and like in his car. I know like you know ESPN Radio or whatever, and it's fodder for that. But like in terms of like how much the casual fan cares about it, you know, it probably depends on the product on of the court. Another thing that we can get into is like he was like, So who's gonna win like who's the favorite going into next year? And I was like, I ah. don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, it's like I have no idea who the favorite is at all. And it's like this is like and we've kind of harped on this f- 
uh, during like free agency and all that type of stuff. But it's and like when the signings were starting to come out uh, during the moratorium period was that this has like this is probably we're entering a new era of the league and that this is probably the most I guess there's so much parity in the league now in comparison to the the reign that Golden State's had over the past five years or so over the league and that we're just entering a new era and I think it I think it plays to this interesting component of the NBA when you look into look back at NBA history when you evaluate like do people like just watching good like great NBA players like Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Kobe Bryant, Shaq dominate these eras or do they actually like the competitiveness and not knowing like who is going to be who's going to win because if you look even if you look at like number ratings and yeah. things like that the last time i could kind of think of like not having a strong grasp of who would win or be in the finals probably like the detroit pistons in 04 like that was a surprising team that won like mm-hmm. I mean, you have the Mavs winning in eleven, but that right. had nothing to. That was more of an upset than not knowing exactly. Who was gonna like win, of people course. thought, like Miami was going to win. Yeah, but it just seems like a lot of people kind of like having the hero sure. aspect in the NBA in comparison to other sports. Yeah, it is interesting. I do wonder. It'll be interesting to see how narratives play out as the season kind of starts to roll along. Um, because you're right about that. I've I've heard that stat too about like ratings are better kind of during dynasties and stuff like that. But the one the one kind of not counterpoint I would make, but like the thing to consider is like for the majority of the NBA's history, like you didn't have access to every single game and every single team and to know what was going on with every every person at any given time. Like, for example, not to go, like, this is the episode about people who don't like the NBA that much, but it just, it just makes me kind of go back and think when I used to work at a supermarket before, before I went to law school, I closed with this guy named Jay, and he was, like, an Indian immigrant. Like, he came over in, like, the 70s or something like that. And he became a fan of the NBA by watching Michael Jordan, basically, and watched a lot of Jordan. But the reason Jordan, like, maybe, like, he was, like, when the Bulls were, like, let's take around that time, like, the Bulls being good versus, like, you know, Detroit or something like that, or, you know, Shaq and the Kobe, like, there wasn't as much exposure, like, the... National exposure, yeah, exactly. The national exposure goes to the biggest stars on the most part, Mm -hmm. on on the most point. So thus, when those biggest stars are in the finals and stuff like that, they attract the most attention. So why I kind of and now, like for someone like you and to me, I find this very exciting. Well, the casual fan. I don't know, but I do wonder if there'll be a bit of a course correction in some way. Mm. Like, I wonder if when the season starts, it's like Lakers, Lakers, Lakers. Yeah, anyway. it, it wouldn't L- be surprising like yeah. if ESPN just like blows out Anthony Day, like all LA stuff, like Clippers versus Lakers, and like kind of playing up that dynamic to yeah. draw in viewership and things like that. Which 
I mean, they probably should do to kind of, of like raise their ratings and uh, on ESPN, things like that on their national broadcasts. And, you know, with the schedule coming out, I'm sure like they'll be on Christmas Day and everything like that. But I mean, I think like in terms of and I, w- I kind of want to change course a oh, little totally. bit in terms of talking about like some of the uh, some like specifically some of the moves that were made this summer and what that says in the future or in aggregate about where we're headed um, as a in the future of the NBA and like what it says. And I think there's this narrative right now that's being written by a lot of like the prominent NBA writers. You'll, you take Zach Lowe. I mean, Windhorse has been reporting a bunch of type, bunch of things um, about just like player empowerment. And I, I mean, that's such a buzzword right now. Yeah. And how that affects free agency and their report at Windhorse and Lowe kind of reported this today about this contentious um, ownership ownership meeting in Vegas during summer league um, about how some of the owners were bringing up grievances that they've had during during this NBA season about tampering and in general like Lazary, who's like the Bucks owner, and Giannis in 2021 with his contract coming up, um, that being a potential hurdle in the future, and how the NBA and Adam Silver is going to address that. And I, I think it's a really interesting kind of and complex issue that I, I don't think there's an easy answer yeah. for all of this stuff because it kind of gets into like private invasion of privacy and all that type of stuff but i kind of wanted to get your thoughts on like maybe in the microcosm talking about what Kawhi and paul like Kawhi did to kind of like orchestrate the paul george move and everything like that and then from there kind of get your thoughts on the that situation and how that affects possibly the future of what free agents do to kind of recruit players and like what your thoughts are on all that type of stuff. Yeah, well the first thing that comes to mind and then then maybe we can go from there the and I I think it you know I hadn't as you were asking that question I was like how can I even tackle this in a cogent way? But when you started to break it down and when you tied it to Kawhi, I think the answer becomes fairly self-evident that the it if the NBA wants to regulate it it, they have to regulate the players' ability to, to talk. talk to talk to each other, and I don't think it's going to happen. So, like, my answer is like, I think maybe more and more procedural safeguards will come in place, possibly. You know, or like maybe they push things back where they're like, you know, you can talk to players after the finals or or what have you. Like, you can try and even the playing field. But but my overall point, as you were saying that, and it kind of almost clicked into focus as you were laying all that out, was, like, it seems, and I'd be interested in knowing, like, KD and Kyrie and, like, what their discussions were like. Like, I feel like we need a a very comprehensive, like, we need to know exactly what happened in one of these situations, be it, like, KD and Kyrie or, like, Kawhi and Paul George or whatever. But if the players are driving this at the end of the day, there's nothing they can do to stop it. Because if they're bypassing all of, you know what I mean? If the agents are 
because agents, I'm sure, are involved. Like, I mean, we talk about clutch on this on this podcast mm-hmm. all the time. Like, agents are obviously involved. But if at the end of the day, it's as simple as Kawhi Leonard texting Paul George and saying, "Yo, request, I let's play in the cl- play in L.A." Like, cool. And he says cool, and then requests a trade. Like, there's nothing the NBA can really do to legislate right, like, that. And I'm thinking, I mean, they can, but I don't think it's worth. Like, I don't see their. What are they gonna do? Like, that. like they're gonna. I don't think they. This league is going to. Look, it's such. It's becoming so player driven, and maybe we'll see at some point down the line. I'm really spitballing now. Some David Stern esque backlash to to player empowerment, where you know you go back to some era where the players are more tightly controlled. But I just think it would be a bad look for the NBA to, to, to yeah. do anything. You know what I mean? They're going to fine Kevin Durant $250,000 or suspend him. Like, that seems pretty far-fetched. And, f- and if I'm Adam Silver in, in his position, and in comparison to, like, all the other major commissioners, he's everyone's looked at him super favorably, like, in the public eye. Mm-hmm. And, like, in comparison to Goodell. Yeah. Like he's like, like the angel compared to like what Goodell's kind of done with the NFL in, in terms of like the inconsistencies of punishment. Whereas like Silver's kind of maybe turned a blind eye to some of that type of stuff. And like even if stuff like in the NBA, like the CBA has kind of said like we don't permit players talking to certain players that are under contract and things like that he's kind of been like what am i gonna do like sis you know suspend them or find them ten thousand dollars on like texting their friend like hey let's play together It, it just seems unrealistic and i don't know how you even really safeguard that other than like hey we're evaluating your text messages like you know like a mom that's kind of like monitoring his her son or daughter's like text message plan and like looking through their text messages when they're like in seventh grade yeah like i don't know how you even go about realistically doing that so it like what he's doing right now makes total sense and i just don't know like what you can really do to regulate any of that yeah and i i i agree with you and i think how it'll end up being enforced if at all will kind of be a case it's gonna take someone complaining about it and then maybe they'll They'll levy some sort of fine against un, uh, against the most egregious perpetrators. Like for example, the, those fines a year or so ago that were assessed against the Lakers for for tampering with Paul George, like that took the Pacers like requesting some sort of informal. I mean, not informal, like filing formal a complaint. formal yeah, yeah. grievance, which doesn't happen in the NBA that often. So you know, I think it's going to take something like that happening. Um, and I think, like, like I said, they play with the t- they'll play with the timeline and stuff like that, and probably make these changes on the fringes. Um, but don't you think they've kind of done pretty much everything they could do to kind because, like, well, what they can do is try and let the teams get in there sooner, and that right. would theoretically make owners happier mm-hmm. because the whole point is, and I think what that low article, um, the main grievance, low and Winhorst kind of elucidate in that article is like the idea of like the people who play by the rules kind of getting punished so if players are kind of always allowed to talk to each other and you make it so that teams can get in the mix earlier and at least 
feel like they're having a part in it as opposed to like having someone having labor sneak around behind their backs you know maybe maybe that at least qu- calms them calms their nerves a little bit because the at the end of the day the other thing is like what does anyone really have to complain about you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what team can you point to that, like, really got fucked over? No Except, one. like, arguably the Lakers. Like, yeah. maybe if Kawhi was stringing along the Lakers. I guess Toronto a little bit. But, yeah, <coughs> it's not really... Like, none You know what I mean? You can't right, right. really have that much of a qualm with, with how things went down. He just right. wanted to leave. And it's not like none... Like, any of these... Um, <coughs> any of these teams were really complaining that much it was more just like bubbling under the surface type of thing where they're like all right this is a growing problem but it's not something where like a specific team was like yeah we're we're completely upset at what's happening and that's what i think it would take for something major to happen like you'd need some sort of kind of major something way more scandalizing that affects a marquee franchise yeah yeah so I think one of the things to kind of talk about and pick apart in the NBA and like throughout this free agency period and all the trades that ended up going on and I think has been talked about but I kind of want to get your thoughts on it is talk about the value of first round picks and draft picks in general and like how the new system lottery system ended up working out for this for like I mean, obviously, for the Pelicans, it worked out extremely well for them to kind of have those increased odds so that they can choose Zion. But, like, I think we've seen a value of first-round picks maybe shift and change because of um, you look at the Paul George trade and then you also look at the Chris Paul-Russell Westbrook trade. And and I think when even – specifically looking at the Westbrook Paul trade, I think a lot of people were shocked at how many draft picks Houston ended up giving up and pick swaps they ended up giving up um in com- like for Westbrook and do you think like the shift of the first round ra- like the value of first round picks is something that is like an overcorrection from what ended up happening for from previous years? Um, I kind of almost want to bounce it back to you, and we can talk about it broadly, but uh, actually, my opinion on it as of right now is, like, I'm not ready to say that it's a league-wide shift yet, because I think this offseason, like, leverage ended up playing such a part in things. The Clippers kind of giving up that historic haul of picks in exchange for in exchange for Paul George. One, as has been mentioned, you know, you certainly mentioned this when you talked with your brother about the trade. It was basically trading for two players, not one. Right. You were trading for Kawhi and Paul George. So that's one thing. And the timing of it made it such where they were in a in a hard position. And I feel pretty similarly about the Westbrook the Westbrook Chris Paul trade. Not you know, not as much, but is there a possibility that the the Rockets suspected that the Heat were, you know, mm-hmm. kind of afoot? That's possible. Um, you know, what was the dynamic? How much was James Harden possibly playing a role in that? Was he saying, hey, go get this guy. This is what I'm sick of playing with Chris Paul. I want to play with Russell Westbrook. 
did that come into play? And the other thing is Daryl Morey has always been a superstar favoring GM. Like, he's a guy who wants to get stars, and his whole game is trading in assets for stars. And he's working under kind of a new and seemingly unpleasant owner. So there's a possibility that he's like, there's no way I'm going to fucking be here in 2025 anyway, so I don't really care if I give up a 2025 pick. Yeah. and I So yeah. the point I'm kind of making is I – and we can still talk about the value of first-round picks, I'm willing to, but kind of as an initial matter, I do find it important to say, like, I don't think we can say based on these – even throw the Anthony Davis trade in there. I see these a little bit more as an anomalies than than the norm, at, at least so far. Yeah, and it just seems like they're super situational and yeah. like situation specific, obviously. But it kind of, I think, drives home the point of how the NBA in general is a star-driven type of league. And if you can get like Paul George, Anthony Davis, or a Russell Westbrook, and I don't know, people d- rate Russell Westbrook a little bit differently um, or rate him, you know, f- value him very differently, whoever you'd talk to. But if you can get one of those top 15, 20 players in the league, you're pretty in much... In the conversation. Right, you're in the conversation, and you're most likely going to be willing to give up kind of almost whatever yes. it takes to make it happen. Like... Are you really going to let the 2024 first-round pick prevent you from getting someone like Anthony Davis mm-hmm. or Paul George? Like, even it, even that that situation specific, like, you brought up Kawhi and Paul George. Like, that's what they were getting. And now, now that all the details have come out past the moratorium, you can get into that more specifically because our initial reaction was like, oh, they're going to sign for the max – uh, yeah, we d- we need to we need to have a conversation right. about their two plus one and and that stuff yeah. too for sure. Yeah, yeah. So like, let's wrap up the first round pick talk. But then like, I want to get into that because I no, find that, that I, that's uh, honestly the thing I'm most interested I, to talk about. With I you. find that really fascinating yeah. for like the timeline of what the Clippers have with both of those players. Well, I think we can tie these in and use it as a transition yeah, yeah. period. And this is. Once again, something that's uh, been said to some extent. I think the one part where the logic may be shifting a little bit is the value of a first-round pick. Like, what a first-round pick represents is maybe changing a little bit. Because I think the idea was always like, like, for example, how someone looks at a top-five pick. Like, it's like, well, if we hit on a, a superstar, we can have him, like for 10 years or something like that. And I do think that's the one... Oh. Yeah, the one... <laughs> what did I do? I, I don't know what happened. The wire got... I don't know what happened. Anyway, I think that's the one area where um, things may be starting to change because, like, Anthony Davis, I think, is maybe the guy who ushered this in. Like, So you have your initial rookie contract, which is four years. And then you can maybe give them a max extension. But once you give them that max extension, they're, you're pretty much on the clock. Right. So maybe now it's like I only have a guy for – and once again, these are 
it's hard to have these conversations without regurgitating other points on we've heard on podcasts. But like maybe I only have this guy for five years now, Max, or mm-hmm. six years, and are they even entering their prime? And like the timeline, we you were talking about timelines also, the timeline kind of gets screwed up. Yeah. You know what I mean? By the time this guy is getting really good, we may have not bu- been able to build up an adequate team to become a championship contender, and then we lose him and we're back to square one. So if you can just cash in your chi- especially if you already have a star, if you can cash in your chips for a second star, your timeline is now. You know what I mean? And then what whatever happens afterwards, come what may. So I think um, what we may see is a willingness for teams who are already at a certain level to cash in their chips for fear. And, like, we've learned this maybe with the Celtics a little bit. Yeah. You know, as a case example, that holding on to assets for too long, the window can now... The windows become so short, in a way, and the opportunities are so limited that if you don't... Like, I think there's maybe more of a fear of missing out now, and Mm. I think that could be here. Especially as we see these players win these players kind of opt for shorter and shorter contracts, and then I think we can start to transition into, into that side of things. But because I think the windows in general for championship contention are going to get shorter and shorter for a multitude of reasons, that is the one the one thing I, I see as like more of a broader shift. And I, t- I think you bring up some really interesting points that – and I have like a kind of a question that could lead us astray, but then also That's like fine. also talk about like – the Kawhi and Paul George, like, having them for two years, basically. But one of the questions, I guess, I have stemming from what you just commented on is does that kind of... And and the championship window of of it being limited and you kind of see, like, the Warriors having sustained success of five years, that being almost like the absolute max at this point. Like, is it realistic to kind of ever see something like the Patriots of, like, the NBA and having this sustained success um, and multiple iterations, and you could kind of bring up the Spurs and all that type of stuff? And, like, I think that's where, like, an OKC kind of had that mentality, especially with Presti, like, early on when he drafted those three guys coming in 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 consecutive years pretty much and then was trying to sustain and like expand that window as long as possible and milk it as long as possible until like he was left with one star and then kind of beautifully pivoted to kind of get Paul George and do all this yeah. type of stuff but i, I i'm curious to see like if there's going to just be a lot more resets more frequently. I think that does connect to the Paul George thing. Right. Because that's that's kind of what we're, what the existential question is with all this. And we can pivot towards that way. Like, you know, this is like a Bill Simmons point, And I'm kind of interested to see if we care or not. But, like, that I do think it is a legit question. Like, is and this is like the pejorative way of putting it. I don't agree with it, but like if we're gonna simplify it, is the NBA on its way to being AAU where like guys just switch teams all the time and like I'm gonna play with this guy for a few years and live in this at the very least, the other thing that's important to point out, let me derail myself for a second, is that the only people who really have the power to do this are the top fifteen to twenty players in the league. 
Right. You know, it's important to mention this is another like, thing. Where's, this and where's is like a thing I was explaining to um, my, the guy I was having lunch with today when he was asking me about the NBA and going in depth because he was like, player empowerment, like, literally, he did kind of say something like that. He's like, yeah, but isn't that only for, like, the best players? And I was like, yeah, no, that is true. But yeah. the fact of the matter is the NBA is a star-driven lead and they a league, and that's what... And that's what drives things. So I think there is kind of that existential question that you're that you're making that you're bringing up now, though. That like, is this going to be a thing where the windows are a lot shorter? And my question to you to kind of tie it back to not, I'm not asking you a question. My answer to you to tie it back to your question with the dynasty thing is, at the end of the day, I think when you look on sports, like the majority of dynasties start with some sort of homegrown talent, like. Even right. if you look at something where they like, even like the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe, you still had Kobe kind of mm-hmm. serving as a foundation, and they acquired Shaq at a pretty young age. So that that's a, maybe a little bit of an outlier. But the Spurs drafted all those guys. The Warriors drafted their three core guys. OKC drafted, drafted their core guys, and then and then pivoted around that. But like you mentioned always at least had one guy from that initial core mm-hmm. kind of uh, kind of anchoring things. So, you know, at the end of the day, I still think the NBA, I still think that's possible because the, the, the structure is still in place for the NBA to, for that to function. Like, not to bring it back to my favorite team, the Portland Trailblazers, but Damian Lillard, like there are always going, there is always the chance of a guy who is, even if this is the new rule, there can be exceptions to it. We might see that with Giannis. I suspect we'll see that with Giannis and the Bucks. I don't. We'll see how things evolve over the years, but I see him as a guy who might. I would Stay. put my money on him being in Milwaukee, right? Like long for term. a long time. Yeah, and I so so I don't think it's completely foreclosed upon, but it's at the very least a trend that that we you know, looks like it has some staying power. Right, and I think it brings up interesting ideas in terms of, like, the best way to build the team and, like, roster construction and all that and, like, the best way to sustain success. And I think if you're, like, an NBA historian, someone that, like, looks back in in the NBA and, like, how that might inform us about the future of how things are going to go, you brought up the homegrown talent and most... Most of the dynasties that we consider that re like went back to back to back had some sort of homegrown talent. Whereas like if you look at like the one off teams like Detroit, they kind of got the band together for like a year or two and then like it broke up. I mean up. the team that just won the championship Toronto too. did that. That's what I, and I was gonna bring them up too. Like Toronto got it together for one year and it was a glorious year for them. Yeah. But all of that for one year, it's exciting. But then, like, I'm sure now, like, once Toronto fans, like, get off the high of, like, winning a championship, and I have n- – that probably might go into, like, 2025. Like, they're going to kind of look at it with regret. I would – not even regret, nah, but, but just, like, kind of – I don't – But kind of, like – I get your point, But, though. like, what could have been. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, like – Oh man, I wish we brought it back together just to see like what could have happened with that team and me and you'll never just see that happening. So, like I think when you're looking at the you know, like the OKCs when they ended up making a trade like that, 
they're kind of looking at history and and being like look how we got ourselves into this situation and kind of attracted like all this attention to Oklahoma City was getting these homegrown talents and young exciting prospects like Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Harden, you could look at Ibaka, like Steven Adams, like we drafted all those guys. Mitch McGarry. Mitch McGarry, <laughs> Terrence Ferguson. You know, like they drafted all of Josh Eustace. They drafted all these guys. Alex Sabrinas. Yeah. So it's it's like all of I think I think that's kind of what's informing Presti when he's making these moves and being like I and like it's all always situational uh specific in terms of like yeah, OKC's never going to get a a star <laughs> free agent without them already having homegrown stars. Yeah, and the one thing I wanted to point out not to completely pivot from the dynasty but I was thinking about this in regard to everything we've been talking about. The one thing that's important and that if we know in the modern NBA is that having a wealth of assets helps a lot. Oh, like yeah. you were talking about team building. We don't know who, who who's going to win yet. But when we look at the teams that are best set up for success in this new landscape or like made the most of their opportunities you look at a team like the clippers or a team like your brooklyn nets like at the end of the day you still need the chips to unless you're the lakers and you can just be shitty and then lebron james comes because you're one of the greatest franchises in sports history you know oh well lucky for you most teams aren't like that but you know setting that aside um there is still some reward to be had for patience because even if, you know, picks are always going to be worth something and young good players are always going to be worth something. You know what I mean? Like, there will still always be, like, if you look at Boston, for example, even like, yeah, they missed out, but there's still value to be had in a Jason Tatum. There's still value to be had in a Jalen Brown. There's still value to be had in, you know, pick other player whoever you want to pick good young player there's still value to be had in a zion williamson one of the bet when you look at the teams that are best suited and you know once again now you're kind of crossing the wires because that's the homegrown talent angle of things Mm -hmm. it's still good as hell to have a really good good young player and that asset even though maybe the way we're looking at how you have to build a team is different at the end of the day you need you need the chips to be able to cash in at the very least. And it'll still reward smart team building. And yeah, I think that, I think that's like the overall like idea that I get from all this is that most of the time the smart teams win out. And like, if you, if you're making dumb decisions continuously, they compound themselves. And then you kind of look at like, certain situations around the league and you're like man like that's how it went wrong when you see like Washington and like it's unfortunate John Wall gets hurt things like that and they had some you know Bradley Beal's like a super talented young player but Grunfeld was given like was in charge there forever and made some terrible like some bad decisions and they compounded themselves on top of each other and it really took a while to get out of that hole. And then when they thought they had something, Wall gets hurt and now they're saddled with his contract and it all, you know, it all becomes a mess. 
But I think one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about, too, when you brought up Boston, and it, and it got me thinking in terms of, like, how things, how quickly things can change in the NBA. Like, think about, like, our podcast last year and what we were talking about last year around this time before the seasons, uh, before the season started this past year. We we're like, Boston's going to win 65 games. They're going to make the finals and, and like maybe have a chance to win win a title against Golden State, go toe-to-toe with them. And now Kyrie's gone, Al Horford's gone, and, like, the hope of Anthony Davis is gone. And and those things change so quickly yeah. that it and, – and it goes back to, like, pushing all your chips into the middle of the table when you have – when you're that close. And I – and I think that's kind of like the tipping point as to when these GMs really have to decide when to make their moves or not, and how how they value like like expanding the window and maximizing like the amount of shots they can get at making the playoffs and having the amount of opportunities versus like how high of heights they can get into the playoffs and like how far they can advance and maybe like really having that realistic outlook on your team and whether or not you can honestly look at your team and be like yeah we aren't as good as what we like how far we went in the playoffs last year um and really evaluate like does this team stack up as like a realistic nba contender yeah is something that i think is really hard for a lot of like NBA GMs to kind of do because they're in the situation and like when and and like when fans are excited about where the direction of the team is going and all that hoopla is going on you're just like all right I I'm buying into this like and I think that's where like some of these teams could kind of get stuck in trying to be like yeah, we have a more realistic shot than most people do. And that might change even more with what Toronto did this past year with them getting someone like Kawhi, changing the fortunes overnight, basically, and them kind of, and him changing the trajectory of what Toronto's season was. And I, and like, I think I think I w- it was brought up in like a Simmons podcast where he ta- he like kind of like goes through every team in the West that has like a realistic shot of making the playoffs and talking about expectations versus reality and him saying like it's totally possible like for example like your Portland Trailblazers for them to make the playoffs as like a third seed this year or a fourth fifth seed and lose in the first round, and I would say people in Portland would be a little bit disappointed. I wouldn't be that disappointed, but I get what you're... No, or I like, still get or what like, you're saying. I still totally or like get Den- what you're saying. Or the Denver Nuggets. I still get what you're saying, for like, sure. Yeah, The totally. Denver Nuggets being like the one seed this year, or the two seed this year. Totally. And then totally get what you're saying. losing to the seven seed. Yeah, but the, yeah. Yeah, now we're like, and that I, I guess that's kind of maybe just super specific to what this upcoming season's gonna be with like the parody that's going on in the West. Like we can kind of list it out: the Lakers, like the Lakers, the Clippers, 
Uh, who else is there? I'm trying to think of like you want to go through every team. Yeah, like Lakers, Denver. Clippers, Denver, Rockets, Portland. That's four or five. That's six, right? Yeah, and then Utah. Utah. Did we mention exactly. Utah? All those are the top six. We right. just listed the and top then, like, six. Some combination of Golden State, yeah. maybe uh, San Antonio. Possibly. Golden State, San Antonio. Uh, who else? Made OKC. The if they keep, OKC keep is Chris definitely Paul. in there. And then you still have the Mavs. Have two really really good players. Sacramento's going to make a Sacramento has push. good players. Like, yeah, and that's where it kind of becomes like. Let's say Utah, who kind of made this all-in move with Conley and traded away first-round picks, all that type of stuff, goes back to that, and they lose in the first round, like, they're going to be disappointed. Like, they're getting dark horse buzz to, like, possibly win the finals. And I think that's the hard part about trying to parse, parse out, like, expectations versus what they are as a real team. Like, having this optimistic view yeah. is important uh, to kind of, like, sell to your fan base, to sell to, like, maybe the employees of the of the organization to get excited about a team. But realistically, ha it seems like with the parity that's gone on in the NBA, everyone's been like, all right, this is our shot, especially with all the injuries and things like that. So it's, it's just a really interesting time where I think a lot of teams are kind of being, yeah. are kind of saying, this is this season is our shot. And, yes, and he, here we go. Let's let's see what can happen. Yeah, um, and I think a point you made in talking about this that's important is that like the and it all. I think there's an argument to be made that the parody. I want to talk about this for sure about the idea of will this parody last, and I really do want to go back to shorten player contracts and like, do we think this is the new normal too? But the, the important thing to remember is that you're right, like in the sense that fundamentally the parody can't last, at least in the sense that teams aren't going to get the results they want, yeah, and then and they're going to have to react to that. They'll quickly, so pivot, you yeah. know, be it a Portland, be it a Utah, you know. Maybe then y after this year you see some teams turn around and start to start to, you know, sell off or, or go in a direction. And I think it goes back also to something you said, and you started to get there. But and it's something you said too. After the finals, I remember you asking me like, "What did the, like looking back? What did the Kawhi Leonard trade? How was that going to have an impact on team building as a whole?" And I think we actually kind of just saw it it's important to distinguish what happened with the raptors from what like say the clippers are doing although not quite but like the raptors had the perfect situation mm -hmm. they didn't have to give up that much right they they what they were fit and zach Lowe makes this point and it's one i agree with even if they lost in the second round what they did was worth it because they didn't give up anything the team was the team with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry wasn't go from the pure chance you made all those points about ancillary ideas and blah 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 but just if we're going to talk in terms of pure championship maximization they made the best championship maximizing move and then gave themselves a, a road to go down after the fact and it's a road they're going to start to go down now mm -hmm. they could be pretty good next year and maybe they'll wait a year before they really start to reset. to pivot into resetting. But putting that aside, but maybe we're seeing the qualification of the NBA in that way. Like in that, you know, a team like the Clippers is willing to say, we will take that three-year window where we maybe have a 
30% chance of winning as opposed to being the Portland Trailblazers who have a 5% chance of winning but over like more a of a record five of or six yeah, year exactly period. so it's it's just kind of different different stra- you know there's more than one way to skin a cat in that way and maybe the Kawhi Leonard trade kind of opened up an alternate way of thinking that's more short term as opposed to our usual our kind of previous like dynasty sent like maybe NBA GMs are going listen we just saw the Warriors break up you know and this is tying back a bunch of, you know maybe at at risk of repeating myself things we already said like sustained success isn't that um isn't that much of a attainable goal anymore unless you're maybe a team like OKC who's going to have a million first round picks like and we need to be about kind of maximizing the window so. or like a fluke thing happens with the cap spike for um Golden exactly. State and for that them to sign stuff isn't KD. that this is the new model so that's something I want to turn on and kind of talk to you about mm-hmm. unless you had anything else to no, say no. about that okay yeah yeah no. uh, I was the only point I was going to really make is like it kind of shows like how important ownership group is and like Balmer's like, yeah, I want a championship. I just want to bring a championship and like all that type of stuff. But like, and like maybe like someone like Portland, like their ownership group was like, okay with making the, yeah, that they favor more just having a successful team. Right. Right. Like Indiana, same with Indiana, things things like that matter. Right. Right. So like, but other than that, like what, so in terms of championship maximization and shortening windows and blah, 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 Kawhi Leonard and Paul George signs two, two year deals, two plus ones, two years and a player option on the end, uh, basically setting up the idea that, in 2021, we're going to do all of this over again. Mm-hmm. When you look back at like all NBA teams, like at least a third of the best play, the 15 best players, pretty much change teams. You know, all of this. What's your initial take on the idea of like, is this the new normal? Like, do you think that it is going that this was a one-off occurrence, or do you think that? the best players are going to switch teams every every four years. Well, it kind of is going forward. It like certainly looks like it, especially with like the mentality of this era slash generation of NBA players. Like I don't like I'm trying to think and think about who is like the homegrown talent that is most realistically going to stay, and it looks like it's going to be Giannis. I mean, I was going to say Giannis and Damian Lillard are probably the two best players at this point who started and are still with their initial franchises, right? right? And then, like, Steph, obviously. Oh, no, Steph is is number two. Right, right. yeah, Steph. So, it like, you kind of look at that, but, I mean, if you look at every, pretty much every other, like, big name star players they've been on multiple teams throughout their careers i wanted to just also point out joel and bead as like kind of an interesting test test case in that sense. yeah like year, you you ha- but like you had agreed, like some of these but 100 agree but a lot of these younger players like Embiid, Jokic, Giannis, like they're still on that second yes contract yeah like after their rookie deals that they still haven't like really had the opportunity to go pursue another team unless they really were willing to make financial sacrifices to go to different team so like those options really haven't come up for them like maybe a carl anthony towns even though like he's there for another four or five years or whatever it is like it 
didn't really make financial sense for him to be like, yeah, I'm not signing this extension. Yeah. And like, we haven't really had the test case for like the new crop of like NBA players. And I like Giannis's attitude and love like what he stands for. He's probably like one of my favorite players at this point in the NBA that's not on the nets, but because of that and like just willing to be like, yeah, I want to save like basketball in Milwaukee and, you know, bring a championship there. Like, that excites me because I'm, like, an NBA traditionalist yeah. and all that type of stuff. But it, I think it's really it, – it's just, like, a really interesting kind of, like, thing with, like, the AAU stuff and, like, how that feeds into everything and, like, wanting to play with friends. And, like, I never thought Kawhi was that player because he was bred in San Antonio, but maybe he was always that type of guy. We just never knew it because it was never, like, talked about in the public, and he never really said anything until, like, this past year and a half, two years or so. And it, it's just really... I don't know. Maybe he's carving out this legacy of like, yeah, I'm like the hired gun. Like, and no, if I if he wins a third NBA championship and is the best player on this team, he would be the first one I think to do that for three different teams. So like, he's carving out his own legacy. Like LeBron's trying to do that with the Lakers too, and I think with LeBron leading the way with like what happened with the decision years ago that kind of opened the eyes of a lot of different 100%. players. And, I mean, it's nothing new, but yeah. it's just, like, I think that was, like, the start of everyone just being, like, oh, wait, I don't have to take all this money. Like, there's more power in be me being able to choose where I want to play instead of, like, just taking and re-upping with the current team, especially if the team, like Cleveland, was kind of struggling to put pieces around LeBron to kind of grow and succeed. And that's where I think um, a lot of the players are kind of rubbing up against management where they're selected in situations that are chosen in situations that they aren't happy with because maybe the ownership group doesn't want to surround this player with like players that can possibly propel them to championship. And that ends up making their decision a lot easier for the next contract and being like, I want to win a championship. That's why that's like the measuring stick that I think a lot of NBA people kind of measure a lot of these players in the all time pantheon of greats and stuff like that. So that's where a lot of these players are like, if, if the media, the NBA critics, NBA fans are measuring us up against like all these NBA legends by the amount of championships we have, why not try to maximize that? Yeah. No, I think that is true. Um, and I agree with a lot of it. I just wanted to, a couple things that you said I wanted to kind of expand on or, or give my take on. You know, one thing about the Kawhi thing that I do think is important, because you, you made this point, and I do agree with that of like what and it's been echoed by a lot of people like, wow, it's pretty surprising. We never thought he was going to be the type to like reach out to another want to team up, basically. Right, right, right. And, you know, OK, so I wanted to kind of make the counter argument to that. Th when you look at you can kind of see it from a purely transactional perspective, like you could make a bare bones argument that it wasn't based on teaming up at all. It was just based on utility. If you're Kawhi Leonard and you're in Toronto, and you just won a championship. 
and you have and you're from California and you have two teams you can go to the Lakers and the Clippers and the Lakers it's going to be a lot of media circus blah 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 you don't want to go there you want to go to the Clippers okay I want to go to the Clippers but if I go to the Clippers by myself there's really no I can't shot. win right away at least so why don't I try and see if I can get someone else to come with me? And if someone else can come with me, I'll go to the Clippers. And if not, I'll go back to the Raptors. Like, there is an argument to be made for for kind of utility in that way, totally, too. Totally, totally. So, but signing the two plus one undercuts that a little bit. Because why not sign for five years or four, not five years. Four you can't years, sign yeah, for, yeah. But why not sign for four years, whatever. But it, it's possible that the LeBron model... You know, it's possible. I just wanted to make some counter arguments because I do. Honestly, I mostly agree with you, but I kind of just wanted to make some counter arguments. It's possible that the shorter deals are just the new norm because that is the economic structure that the that the league has put in place now that until they do something to swing back the other way, like, you know, longer contracts, longer like maybe we'll see it going the other way where they're like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll just allow seven-year contracts again yeah you yeah know, and or, i kind of wanted to play this for fun home teams i kind of wanted to play this but fun parlor to, game no after we that, should but yeah, we yeah. definitely should uh, but i wanted to just bring up one more thing um so yeah there's that aspect of things too that it's possible that because of the incentives the league has now provided you have allowed you've just made the con- general contract length shorter and like in a science experiment or something you've just increased the amount of variables over and over so it's possible that like the new normal is new more player movement but that it won't always happen in this particular way the one other so that's kind of an, another scenario i wanted to raise one more scenario though I think it's important, and once again, everything's stolen. This was a Zach Lowe point from a while ago. We've that I'm stolen sort of everything on this re- pod. Yeah, yeah, we shouldn't have to say that. Like, we listen to a lot of podcasts, and then we use those topics at jumping off points. But I thought of this myself. It's important to realize that these players coalesced around L.A. and New York. And I wonder if not, like, we're going to see a rise of, like, you know, the past couple years, you know, the Bay Area is a pretty big market. Miami is a pretty big market. But I wonder if we will see like a secondary rise in big markets, not necessarily as like always getting the best free agents, but as like being a revolving door for guys. Got like it. always being good, but like kind of cycling through players. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I wonder th- if it's going to happen with the team. I wonder if it might be the Clippers. Like they have their Chris Paul, Blake era and now they have their Kawhi Paul George era and then maybe they leave and then it becomes the Carl Towns and somewhat you know what I mean yeah, yeah. that there are players who always want to play in LA like it's kind of what Miami was going to become but for that cap spike that kind of locked them into a bunch of crappy deals right. and screwed them over like I wonder if we will see the big markets be the conduit for those for those kind of players and those kind of deals. Because at the end of the day, where is Kawhi going to leave and go to next? Like Utah, you know what I mean? Like there are only a certain amount of, even for a player like Kawhi Leonard, who isn't maybe so big market focused. Right. Th- th- there's still a finite, you know what I mean? The the AAU culture is 
only going to coalesce around certain situations, certain players, and certain teams. So I think it'll take a few years to play itself out, but I wonder if if the impact of that trend, if, if it comes to bear, will be more will take a different form than we're maybe expecting it to at this point. Right. And I have a couple points in response to that to that and then we'll kind of play this kind of yeah. parlor game that I kind of wanted to kind of bounce off of you. One one thing that I don't think I brought up and I think w- smart NBA people were bringing up was that Kawhi ended up signing a 2 plus 1 because it brings him to like the 10-year veteran mm. Like yeah. all that type of stuff, and that ends up making him eligible for a super max and being able to sign with that. And maybe if he likes the direction of where where the Clippers are going, he's just okay. I'll lock it in and with yeah. my you know to sign that extension. So that's one point of yeah. uh, of like why it ties he would into sign. the incentive kind of cash right, idea right. and kind of like putting pressure on the Clippers to be like sustain this good yeah. good team and see where they can go. So that's kind of like maybe a play b- or, or a, like a page out of LeBron's playbook in yep. that way with what LeBron did with Cleveland and putting pressure on them. Um, and, uh, and then I think another thing that a counter, I guess, to kind of what you're say, saying in the revolving door is 10 years ago, like, can you imagine something like this happening with the Clippers with under Donald Sterling? No. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting. And, and that's kind of to bring up. Sorry, New York Knicks fans. Like, what well, that's Dolan's what I was. The Knicks done. are obviously the anecdote to that. Right. Yeah. Keep yeah, going, yeah. though. I and, don't want to cut you off. Yeah. And, and, and it makes like it makes it kind of like, yeah, now I think uh, a lot of these players and it's not like a, a point that I'm coming up with that's completely inventive and new is that a lot of the players are looking more into like ownership and like how ownership handles a lot of the NBA, uh, their teams and things like that. And like Dolan doesn't do that for the Knicks. And like, I think that's kind of like that shattered, like this NBA off season has shattered my illusion of, of the mystique of playing for the Knicks finally. Yeah. And I think yeah. like, yeah, like I was holding on to hope almost yeah. like, and I'm not even a Knicks fan. I'm a Nets fan, but like almost like, yeah, save New York basketball in coming to the Knicks. And that's completely shattered it um, for me, this NBA off season. And I don't think anything's that that's anything earth chattering for me to say yeah no that's definitely true and it's a good point you made i guess i would have to twist my caveat to being like that yeah there needs to be well except for maybe the lakers once again right there needs to be some sort of baseline level of competency to do competency to do it but i do wonder if i just want to poke a hole in my own argument and tie it back to something you said about Kawhi. um We've really been doing a lot of coaching each other is in this, this like, in this yeah, podcast. Yeah, it's like kind of but like the circular to, arguments yeah. that no, law but I think we're just I think we're just it's harder to talk back and forth about these philosophical in- issues. I still think it's interesting, but to poke a hole in my own argument, another thing that'll be interesting to see and it ties back to what you said about Kawhi and putting pressure on a franchise. Maybe it's impossible to be the revolving door because maybe your championship it'll be interesting to see, I guess as 
to kind of phrase my point better, what the life cycle of these teams are in this new NBA if we go to the AAU-centric NBA. Because it's possible that these teams to acquire the stars and then in to try and appease them, see the Warriors, see the Cavs, see the Heat, you kind of like to acquire and then make the machine go for a while, you have to kind of like chug up, churn up all of these assets and all this stuff, and then you're depleted. So maybe we're going to see that it's impossible to actually be the revolving door because the life cycle of it is such we're kind of like you get good, you acquire stars, you spend assets and money trying to win a championship. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. And then you kind of, they leave and you're screwed for a little bit. Yeah, You know what I mean? Because if players do care about longevity and stuff going forward, when let's pretend Kawhi leaves the Clippers and stuff, maybe the next star isn't going to want to go to the Clippers because they're not going to be as attractive of a situation going forward anymore. And then maybe Kawhi will look towards whoever the next team is that gets themselves in a really good position. You know, it'll kind of be... This new frontier does raise some interesting questions like... And I think it ties back to another theme we've been talking about is like, what does longevity look like if it exists in the NBA going and, forward? And I just think I like the person that I'm thinking of is Sam Presti and what he's doing in OKC. Like True, but never won a championship. Never won a championship, but in terms of like and maybe people point to the Spurs and all that stuff, but they had like one singular guy and all that. The thing is the Spurs at this point can't be a they're too far removed from this. I would say right, like right. the last Spurs championship is a define. You know what I mean? Like yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. a defining endpoint in some ways. Right. So it's it's more like. Am I, I get think, what you're saying? Yeah, but I my thinking was saying. like OKC in that like they like Presti did this thing of like trying to like reinvent the wheel Agreed. and like bring he he like traded Harden to kind of sustain the window. Then he let go of. Then he's traded off Ibaka, and then he traded off, um, or like KD ended up leaving, and then he, uh, like, basically out of thin air got Oladipo because of the Ibaka trade, and then Oladipo ended up going to Indiana in the Paul George thing. So, like, he did, like, it was kind of like trading this asset, and it's, I wonder, I think it would be interesting to kind of look at the transactions and be like, Hey, this player, I think it was like Serge, like at no, the end Serge of the day. Serge Ibaka turns into everything, basically. Yeah, Serge Ibaka turns into everything. So it, it's just really fascinating to kind of see like how Presti wheel, wheeled and dealed his way to Paul George. And then it he was like, all right, hard reset. And like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be in that situation that you're talking about of like chugging along and then like just being like, all of our assets are exhausted. Yeah. I'm going to just kind of, and he's done this throughout his career of trading a guy early and just getting as much maximum value as I can. And that's, that's a really fascinating way, fascinating way to kind of look at the NBA landscape and the way that he looks at it. And I don't think a lot of people would have the balls to be able to do something like that. Yeah, and maybe just to kind of put a cap on the Presti stuff. It's like, sorry. There's always going to be move. The, there's always kind of the 
what we've seen in the NBA, at least in the short time I've been paying attention to it. You kind of see the trend and then the counter to the trend, which then becomes the trend. Right. And maybe we will look back and see Presti as this visionary that, like, in this era where the short game's becoming more and more, you know, of uh, in the forefront of NBA minds, even though we have debated to varying points the merits of that idea but maybe we're going to look back and say well maybe this is kind of just a fundamental contrarian play of Presti to go you know what I'm going to go instead for this this long game and who knows maybe he'll turn around and trade five of the picks for two really good players who knows and have yeah, a team with Chris Ball Danilo Gallinari and Bradley Beal or something whatever, like yeah. that you know what I mean and but uh yeah and I was just but I I I think there is a uh, a point to be made about what Presty's doing just in the general, like, contrarian yeah, regard. Yeah, and I was going to just say, it's e- like it's easy for an NBA GM to be like, hold on to Russell Westbrook and Paul George and be like, I have two really good players. Yeah. I'm going to hold on to them yep. till forever because I'm going to get killed by the media and the fans if I if I trade them. So that'll be the interesting, like, thing about his reputation and how that ends up turning out. So the one, f- so the fun parlor game that I kind of wanted to play was, and it's not really related, but it's one of these things of like how you would rate certain players in the NBA right now as we're going into next season okay. and in the off season in terms of like if they're on the open market like MLB baseball, no salary cap, like how much would you pay them? And okay, like let's say LeBron's on the market and. And how much would you just give him per year? Or and like and like how I would give him the largest contract. Mm, and and now and, and like years is interesting to. Actually, that's a mm, okay. And how about like, this? Who can we reframe the question okay, instead of yeah, saying yeah. LeBron? Can I say? Can we phrase the question like? Because I'd like to throw it back to you this way. And okay. Again, you have unlimited. Let's pretend every player every. Let's pretend you're the Brooklyn Nets and we take every player off of every team and we institute this rule that every player gets to every team rather gets to offer one player a a contract free of CBA rules. You know, what would you who would you offer a contract to and and what would it be? Giannis and whatever. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Giannis ten years. A However, billion, billion dollars, maybe. Like I don't know. Like just like. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Yeah. You have to w- operate within realistic financial right, right. Expi- concerns. But I would have to presume that Giannis, ten years. Giannis, Anthony Davis, are both worth whatever the largest contract are worth, like the Bryce Harper deal. You right. would assume. But like, yeah, and I think the reason why I wanted to bring this up, it kind of brings up. And it, it I completely immediately destroyed your parlor game. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I think I think you refined it and made it more interesting in that. Yeah, having to choose that one player, but then also like how you would value certain like rookies, like Zion. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I'd take Zion for whatever, like however much money and this type of thing. But like, realistically, where does he rank in the? L- in the list and we haven't seen him play obviously but i think a lot of like people would kind of offer him that would be a fascinating change to the nba if coming in as a rookie 
you could offer the player whatever kind of like contract you wanted kind of kind of like soccer yeah. in a way like a transfer fee of like like Christian Pulisic was worth 68 70 million euros and he's 20 years old like how much would a team be willing to pay someone like Zion coming out and like how high would the bidding get yeah well you know that Kevin Arnovitz I, I don't know if you've read his article had an interesting proposition for a way to solve some of these issues which is abolishing the draft yeah to kind of m- kind of shift it to the soccer model that's going on in Europe and have like I think that would be fascinating. And this is and I think this is one of the things that I went to summer league last year and like getting Kevin off. is a Dell Demps protege. <laughs> <laughs> so just getting like all the different ideas. And one of the ideas that I kind of threw out there was like and I'm a huge soccer fan and I've talked about soccer and European soccer football, European football on the podcast before and the one difference between European football and U.S.-based sports is this idea of an academy-based system and what it would look like if a New York Knicks, Brooklyn Nets had, like, a youth-affiliated team and they had, like, AAU-affiliated teams and they just kind of streamed them up to the NBA. So, like, and kind of what the Barcelonas, the Real Madrids, do in basketball over there that's kind of how Luka Doncic ended up getting um discovered at the age of 16 and started playing in EuroLeague and um kind of refined and developed his skills and you know it it comes with a whole host of problems with burnout and like how you handle like a 16 year old kids potentially playing in 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 an NBA game but I think it's really fascinating to see, like, let's say if, I mean, Dallas, da- the Dallas Mavericks are one of these teams that's, like, a very, like, European, worldly-focused team, and let's say they develop, like, an AAU team, AAU feeder team, and that's a way for them to discover talent in the Dallas area and how that ends up happening. Well, you actually, just uh, just to see an example of that that actually happened this year, I don't know if you know this, but the Warriors drafted this guy in the seventh, in the second round, Evan Smilajic or something, and he actually played for their G League team last year. Mm-hmm. Apropos of nothing, before he could enter the draft, the problem is you then have to draft. You don't like get redraft. his rights right. at all. You have to you redraft don't have to, yeah. your players. So, but I I understand what you're saying. I actually find even more fascinating the idea of this like alternate universe where you're proposing like. If I we could scrap college basketball and like uh, and do things that way, it would really be interesting and arguably mitigate a, a lot of these problems. Now, would you end up with balances of power like in European football, where every league has, where there are two really really good, good teams right. at the top that that win for spates of ten years? Mm. Eh, they're not always that long, but you you get what even if I'm over exaggerating and a little bit, yeah. Like maybe there's an argument to be made that in these kinds of systems, there there's always some balance of power that 
you know. Yeah, are, that we, just ends shif- up coming. are we just shifting the problems from this place to this place? Yeah, and that's, exactly. I think that's kind of like... And that's the problem when we do any sort of fantasy CBAing or something like that, you know? Yeah. We've t- talked on here about, like, reforming the max contract to make it more more palatable, but it, it's hard to find that right balance of power. And the fact of the matter is every generation to generation, you know desires and kind of like priorities and different revenue streams and stuff like that change you know yeah and yeah i just thought it was like an interesting oh it was an interesting like just to kind of like throw out there and see like hey what would that look like would that solve the au problem of like i don't think it would of like like teams coming up together like that but i think it would be like an interesting model to be like hey i play on the u19 brooklyn nets team yeah Instead of going to Duke or something like that. And like them getting paid a salary. And this is like, I think, where the G League eventually wants to go. Maybe not like as like this alternative to college. But I think this is kind of like where they want to go. Well, yeah, if you want to, we could let 16 year olds enter the draft if we wanted. You know what I mean? We could do this if we wanted to. Mm -hmm. We could let 14 year olds enter the draft. Yeah, and, and then, then they, you know, we would have to reform the salary structure a little bit. But what if you could have signed, like, what if, I don't know what eight prospects and hi- like you, who like they, that prospect is now. But what if you could sign, draft a 14 year old prospect like and LeBron like sign to a dev- Like Bronny? Yeah, exactly. Like what if you could draft Bronny and like hold div- his rights for five years or whatever? Maybe. Like you would have to pay me being someone who wants labor to be paid fairly. Like you would have to. I wouldn't want them to be able to just hold it in perpetuity. With like he would join their G. He would then join their G League team, and you would pay him. You know. A certain amount of money, uh, obviously. I'd say yeah. you pay him like an NBA rookie. You're paying yeah. a premium to be able to hold his rights mm-hmm. or whatever. That would kind of be a fascinating idea, too. Yeah. Like so, Adam Silver, we want you to lower the draft age to, I think, <laughs> 12 years old? 13? No, not 12. 14, 14 will be reasonable. Freshman year of high school? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's like, I, I just think it's like interesting to do that. But to kind of get back to like, like who I would offer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's like got to be Giannis. Yeah, I'm actually a little bit shakier on Anthony Davis in that like, and I was having this conversation today, in that like everyone just kind of chalking up the Lakers to do amazingly well, and I'm a little bit more cautious, uh, cautiously optimistic about them in terms of like how well Davis is going to be in terms of carrying this team because I think a lot of a lot's going to be asked of him, and Maybe it was maybe I've soured on him because of his attitude a little bit and like him kind of not that he forced his way out of New Orleans, but like there was this orchestration by Rich Paul to make this happen to go to the Lakers. And like we haven't really seen him play hard since January. Right. Like so. And like I think a lot of the things that. I'm a little bit worried about to kind of get in the micro of like how they're going to play this year is like if LeBron's not playing, can Anthony Davis carry this team? And like in New Orleans, he didn't really prove that besides that one year when he had like Rondo on fire and Drew Holiday was good. So like I'm just kind of curious to see like 
if LeBron gets hurt for an extended period of time, like what happens? Yeah, agreed team? about. Uh, to me, the question's more about will he need to do that versus right, right. not. So, and we're gonna have plenty of time to, to right, discuss right. all. So I, I just want. Oh, so you Anthony wanna, Davis, like, who maybe. would you pick then after? I mean, Zion. You've mentioned Zion's definitely a candidate. Zion would be intriguing. Do you think Steph is still a candidate? Like, would you give Steph? Because the interesting thing about this scenario, if it existed, would be like you'd have teams acting probably re- like I bet Kevin Durant would have gotten a gigantic contract this offseason from some team regardless that was of his to, injury and all that it would be really interesting like that idea is kind of and what teams w- what small market teams would be willing to pay it's almost given like, unlimited resources it would take the right kind of team because the teams still want to make money and stuff right like, like that. the designated player system of like yeah like, like they have that in the MLS. MLS, right? Exactly. So who would the designated player be? Giannis is intriguing. I and this is like purely me going on on the top of my head. I, I, like I kind of maybe Luca, but that's okay. More that's why I was going like to say Luca too. It's an interesting like question. I guess because the other thing you could do is you could theoretically offer Steph Curry if we were doing this unlimited thing. I, w- I w- would you rather you could offer Steph Curry three years, 500 million or something like some insane ridiculous like that to just buy out the rest of their prime. Like, OK, would I have rather played da- paid Damian Lillard two years, two years, 200 million as opposed to four years, 200 million? You know yeah. what I mean? It's kind of an intro. Like you start to just get into economics questions and like how realistic, like how realistic that is for teams and yeah. stuff like that. Or would it's like one of those things? Like, do you buy out a guy who's in pri- whose prime is right now, or do you have someone where you're trying to like project with Zion, with Luca, with all these guys? But I agree. I think once you get into like the ten year contract territory, if we were doing that, it's like Giannis. To me, still AD number two, and then probably Zion Luca would be my top four. Yeah, are we missing anyone? Donovan Mitchell, maybe? I don't know. No. Like, no, not really, right? Like, He's still not to discount him Jokic? at all, but just in this. Jok- oh, that's a good one. Jokic yeah. is a good one. Jokic might be above Embiid, and Embiid's like injury Embiid's health stuff. would be yeah. a huge issue. Yeah, so it seems like Giannis is the clear guy, and like, it's. Yeah, I just thought it was like one of these fascinating things. No, definitely. Like, how do you. Th- how do you like rate some of these players and like their injury history and and like all these different factors to kind of like offer the yeah i i don't like i don't know how ridiculous the bidding would get no it would Giannis. be really fascinating it would be really fascinating I think someone would offer it would like definitely favor the one of the big i would guess like the clippers or the knicks would offer him a gigantic 500 something, million dollars the richest or, contract yeah. in american sports history at least yeah yeah so it it would be kind of crazy to see how that gets um i don't have much else to kind of really no, talk i think about. i like, think we hit on everything we want yeah we pretty much hit on. i'm trying everything. to think if we can come up with something good i think that was a good wrap-up though honestly unless you have anything else yeah the only other thing that maybe i wanted to touch upon was like where and i it kind of want i it, this might just get too micro and like see like or like talk about a little bit of summer league. Yeah, but that's fine. We can end with that. Like I was going to mention what summer league. And we don't have to talk about it in some philosophical yeah, way. Summer league you and me, like, I think summer league is a joke, honestly. But like, did you watch any summer? I did watch, watch it because I I'm kind an, of enjoyed watching because it I'm this an year. NBA guy. But 
it's it's like it's one of those things and like i kind of encourage like people that haven't been a summer league like you and i think you i would love to go to summer i league. wouldn't it's like so much fun like to kind of experience like that type of excitement of like this new nba league year starting and like all these you like see all these different people we got to see zion williamson play for nine, nine minutes. whole yeah, minutes. yeah. so like you get to see like all these things you get to see like nba media members just yeah. like walking around the Ma- thomas and max center just like talking with different people yeah. and it's really cool to be have like yeah, it's all cool of the that NBA, the NBA combines like it's summer meet. It's basically like the MLB summer meetings, but games are actually being played. You know right, what right. I mean? It's a pretty cool thing when you yeah, think yeah. about it. So I want to touch upon that. And I also did want to touch upon and, and for this for us to get a little bit more personal with our thoughts on our own team. Do you want to close out with a, a modified Nets Blazers? Because I was going to ask you what you thought of Jared Allen also. I also want to. Yeah, I want to. The Anthony Simons buzz is, buzz is just like blowing up right now. It's not really blowing well, up. Yeah, like because there's Bill Simmons heard from some guy that he's going to be good, so he he some ordered someone to, to write, write an article piece. about no, it. No, so that yeah, and I don't know. Like I think that's been maybe yeah. I was being a little bit more no, sarcastic know, about it, but were. it was just like I know you were. Yeah, because people are like he's. Just, CJ McCollum, but better and all this type of stuff. So I just wanted to get your perspective on like what the Blazers did this off season, like because they were one of these teams that didn't make a huge like like yeah the, I the, get what you're like saying, the but they retooled their they, team. They, they retooled their team pretty dramatically right. compared I to d- what they've done in the past. Like I don't think people expected them to make the amount of moves they made, but they weren't like one of the big NBA free agent players slash trade partners that a lot of the NBA media covered. So like let's get the M- like let's get the insider info on what you thought as a as a Blazers fan. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we talked about it kind of last t- last time we talked. I still feel pretty similarly like I wouldn't b- they they might be good or they might take a step back. I it's hard for me to tell. I just don't think we talked about this kind of. I don't think they foreclosed on the potential of doing. So. You know what I mean? I think whatever happens this season in the long term, their outlook is is still fairly good. And I think Anthony Simons plays into that a little bit. You know, whatever. I just feel like we're going to be at the risk of repeating ourselves the it's great that they're able to develop while, you know, that they're one of these teams that actually kind of has stuff going on in the background materially. And you have to give Neil Olshea some credit. He took an 18-year-old who had never played in college before. The Blazers don't have a G- just to just to kind of ramp this in Anthony Simons, because that's kind of what I'm most interested in, in mentioning. They drafted an 18-year-olds just to fill in any any listener who's still listening, but uh, and wants to hear about <laughs> this. But they drafted an 18-year-olds. They don't have a G League team, and he kind of just hung out with the team. And in the Blazers culture, like that formula has kind of worked out fairly well. You it know remi- what I mean? It reminds me of like in the NFL, like let's say they someone dra- drafts a starting quarterback yeah. and or a starting quarterback in the first round. And when they have an incumbent in place and they just kind of expect that guy to sit and watch for a year and yeah. not do anything. And that's and that's what he did. But behind the scenes, apparently, he's looked really, really good. And then in summer league, he I think in three games, he averaged like 26 or something like yeah. that. So and remember, uh, 
he also had a regular season game. The reason they played the Thunder was because he played incredibly in a game against the Kings. Points? I think it was 37. Yeah. yeah. Against the Kings and brought them back from like 30 down, basically. So, you know, like my thoughts on that, like I would just love to see him be a contributor. Like I think we're a year away from like a CJ McCollum-esque breakout season if it comes. But the fact of the matter is they got him with the 18th pick. So... Yeah, and I kind of like anything they get is surplus value. But you know, it kind of plays into this idea of like if he can become a chip for them, like all of a sudden you have him and Zach Collins that you could trade for if you wanted to for, you know, star player X. Yeah. Or pivot later on in a post CJ era or post Dame era. Like yeah. that's really I, I, I like it. So I kinda kinda that ties back to what I was talking about. This season I it's it's hard to gauge my feelings until until they play. Like I'm happy with what they did. I don't. I keep. What do I keep doing? I've been all over the place with this microphone. I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> I I'm not even thinking about like the my goals for the season yet because I I I feel overall fairly comfortable with their future. Yeah, yeah, and I just. You know, I kind of brought up the expectations versus reality kind of like broader point, but that's kind of, I, I guess that's my interest in what Portland, what the Portland fan base's expectations are of like possibly going far. And yeah, yeah, I don't think it, I, it I like don't think I, I, you know, I think the Portland fan is really rational. I don't think they, they're even saying we need to get back to the conference finals. It's just I like don't more, think they're saying that. The I think they're pretty smart and know they're one move away. I think the idea is like maybe we could flip white side and whatever at like maybe we have one more move to make. I was pointing out to you the other day. I would love to see if they could trade uh, like at once he's tradable again, um, if they could trade like Bazemore and a first for Danilo Gallinari, if the Thunder decide to rebuild, then I'd be really pumped. Like yeah. then we're getting somewhere. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I think the general consensus, and this happens, this is your classic thing with the Blazers when we bring them up, like one guy away. I still think they're one guy away. So that's why. And I think that's what the expectation is on, yeah. the, on the whole. Like I think if you gave Neil O'Shea truth serum, he'd be like, Second round is probably where where we are still. Yeah, and even if it's like a first round loss against like a good team, then okay, like we can see it. Yeah, yeah. So it, to throw it back to you, um, it, you can talk. I'll give you the forum to talk about if you want. I'm interested in. I didn't even, you know, I wanted to. Say, it's kind of funny. I had on the one night the summer league like playoffs or whatever and the nets are playing i think and yep. i'm like jared allen's playing in summer league yeah, i was surprised year. by that so if you explain do you think that was a worthwhile it was fine thing it did you or if you want to give any sort of summer league thought interesting thought i mean it was fine. on anything yeah. you can like i just thought like i was surprised that he was playing like i didn't know he like he was a starter for them last year and like I think he like maybe they don't see him as an in, as important piece with DeAndre, which I it kind of blows my mind that they would think that way. But I think Allen is gonna be one of these rotation guys for them that really needs to develop um, because they really kind of struggled with size last year, and that's like the one thing that I'm worried about for them. So that's like the big worry. 
But, I mean, it's more the same. Like, we talked about this, and, like, I guess to kind of close it out in that I think the Nets, like, I think the Nets fans are ex- excited. Um, I think I'm more, like, realistic and rational in that, like, they're fourth best team in the East, maybe, with the way it's currently constructed because KD is not playing. And, yeah, I'm... I, I guess I'm a very cautiously optimistic because I don't know how good Katie's going to be in year two. And then with those Achilles injuries, if these guys come back to full strength, it's usually like the year after they come back that you kind of see like where they're actually at. So like year three of his contract, which then becomes like only a two-year window, basically. Yeah. So that's... I think that's a little bit of the worry of, like, maybe it's a little bit of fool's gold in terms of there being a championship window with this team. Mm. And I think and I, I, I think that's some, one of, like, as the initial excitement wore off of, like, yes, we got Kyrie and we got KD, it's, like, realistically maybe a... Like, if you want to be super optimistic, three-year window. Yeah. Probably more realistic, a two-year window. And then guys start getting old really quick. Like, and, like, how Karis LeVert... Like, Karis LeVert is weirdly probably the most important player yeah, in no, this I whole would agree. thing. For of next like, year, I think he's their most important player. Like, in terms of, reason. like, the projection of how this team's going to be. Yeah. And, like, he's going to be up for an extension. And it, it starts getting really, like interesting math wise cap space and all that type of stuff so i don't other than that there's not much i wanted to cover um like we hit on everything yeah like like i don't really know what to title this like podcast other than nba philosophy with that Andrew was funny I, that was literally i was about to say nba off-season philosophy yeah so, yeah. so like something like that so but it was like, fun to powwow about this i mean the fact of the matter is what were we gonna do it's too early to start you know, it's too early to start. We could be talking about where do we think these teams are going into next season and stuff like that. But there's there's tons of time. Why shoot our wad on that now? Yeah, yeah. You know. So like, I think we'll have. I think we have like a lot of time before our next podcast. We're gonna go to Chicago. Yeah. Uh, together. Very excited. Um, our internships are all over after this week, so we're excited about going sh- going to Chicago. We're gonna catch a Cubs game. We're gonna watch. Andrews Milwaukee Brewers if you didn't know like <laughs> like I don't really know I think people are going to be like Portland Trailblazers fan Milwaukee I literally was doing Brewers this too I've had like, so many conversations during this law firm kind of summer associate gig where like I'm explain like explaining my sports teams the, and once you I explain it there is a rationality behind it like I don't pick these teams up out of nowhere necessarily right. and I've now stuck with them for a while Baltimore I mean the Brewers the Brewers the Ravens, the yeah. Ravens I am a legitimate fan of the Brewers I will admit like in and out I've right? come on the bandwagon in the yeah it Baseball has been hard for me to pay attention to. There have been seasons where I've watched a lot of games, but as they fell into kind of their drought post-Niger Morgan walk-off against the Diamondbacks, like, that was when I was, like, the biggest, like, 
that was that yeah, season. Yeah. I think that was like eleven or something. Was when I was a huge fan. But uh, I just don't care that much about baseball anymore. You know, if that's it were weird my, to say. Kind of sad. But I could jump on my and my parents over the last few years. That was the one professional sports team the Yankees were, were that like I actually like they actually kind of care about. Like they don't have an NFL team. They really mm. care. My dad will jump in on the Giants occasionally. So nothing in terms of NFL and nothing in terms of NBA. My, I, I, I couldn't uh, tell you by any means if my dad has ever cared about it, an NBA team. So that stuff I was left to fend for myself, basically. But I could jump in. You know, I have thought about, like, the thing is I don't want to be a Yankee fan. No one cares about this who's listening to the podcast right no, now. No, no. I'm just trying to explain why I'm a Brewer fan. No, no. So, like, yeah, we're going to be in Chicago. Anyway, going yeah. to a Cubs game. We're going to a... Going to a day of Lollapalooza, which will be a very interesting experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking so forward to that. That'll be fun. And I, I guess, like, one of the questions, like, super random question, and, like, this gets into fandom, and I don't want to drag this podcast any longer, and maybe we could talk, uh, like, expand on this a little further next time I have you on. In terms of fandom, like, eventually when you have a kid and a family or whatever, and you have all these random teams. I have no problem with that. There are people who are Notre Dame fans who never went to Notre Dame. You right. know what I mean? No, like no, no. At some point, you know, I don't see a problem with that. The Blazers are definitely a team I will be a fan of for life and pass that along. I'll probably never have children, so it doesn't <laughs> matter anyway. <laughs> I was about but to say. If, if but I did that, that I would pass along. What the I'm other saying, stuff. Right, like passing along like teams and stuff like that. And I think it's become like. And I think it's really interesting for you because there's no, like, regional, like... Attachment. Attachment or ties to that. To that, And we will be making a Portland trip. So yes. um, yeah, that's yeah, definitely yeah. happening. We'll catch a Blazers game sometime uh, during our... And, you know, during law school as it winds down this year. But we will be going out to Portland. So he'll be, div- he'll be putting his roots down in portland somehow you know there's this old jerry seinfeld bit at the end of the day you're just rooting for laundry anyway what we just discussed about players come and go they have no connection to the city so who really cares unless you go to games on a regular basis it doesn't really matter that that. much so it's kind of like but it anyway we're going to chicago we're going to chicago but i think it poses some interesting questions like you know when i think about my dad patriots fan i'm a jets fan yeah which is Extremely weird for it to it's explain. It's very possible that my kid would deviate and then just root for a regional team anyway. Yeah. So maybe yeah. he won't like sports. You know. You know. Sometimes. God, that's horrifying. But it's also like, yeah, maybe I'll connect with him in other ways or connect with her in other ways. So. True. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Other than that. I have nothing else to cover. <laughs> I've said that for the fourth yeah, time. Yeah, you could have. Um, you had like four endpoints to wrap it up neatly, and have just kept going and yeah, going. So but it's been fun. Yep. So we'll probably report back in. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say at the very early. Maybe we think of some niche thing to do, some and like, like yeah, right August. before we go back yeah, to yeah. school, and then once we get into September and stuff, we can start getting into previews. I don't know when we started. I don't know when we started doing our preview stuff for. Like we have to have our second annual like a uh, draft. draft yeah so, so that'll, that that'll be fun i feel like we did that in like late september maybe yeah, yeah. so we'll have i mean we'll we're gonna take a little bit of a break from the nba yeah, definitely um like i mean 
FIBA World Cup. Are we really going to talk about that? No, now? fuck no. So, exactly. So Yeah, ooh, um, uh, Donovan Mitch. No, that's yeah, yeah. me. Kem- I was trying to Kemba think of Kemba Walker? Kemba might be Mr. America. Now it's like to the point where they're, it, they invited Thaddeus Young to the training camp. It's like Jalen Brown. Yeah. Jason Tatum. You know, it's, it might be a fun team to watch, but I don't think it's podcast worthy, yeah, unfortunately. Miles well, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's going to just be really interesting like <laughs> to see, like, I don't know. That'd be funny if, like, now I'm imagining just as a joke, like, you and your brother doing, like, a reaction Miles to, the <laughs> to the FIBA <laughs> World Cup gold medal game. Yeah. Being oh, like, Lord. That, yeah. yeah, that wouldn't. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But I will have other podcasts. The... And this is the closeout. The soccer podcasts are going to be returning a lot more regularly. Yeah. Um, some A lot of, like, y- these European teams are going through their preseason. Soccer is starting in two weeks or three weeks, like regular season Premier League games. So that's going to be fun. I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan, but I will be watching Chelsea games fairly closely because of the the U.S. savior, Christian Pulisic. So... That's definitely happening. I kind of fucked up while I was in London. I should have started rooting for Chelsea, especially because they were bad there. It would have been great to pick up now. Like, my European... I once... I tried to become... I didn't Aren't you a Spurs fan? In. Spurs fan? No. I wanted to be a fan of Crystal Palace, which I never did. And then I bought a Spurs jersey for my dad that I ended up keeping. So I have that. But I've never really rooted for them in my life. Right. I think this is a season to get you in on a eh, get you in on the ground floor I don't with know. the I, Premier League soccer. Maybe. So. I enjoy watching it, but Yeah, it's exciting. I don't so. need to the Wu Tang clan is is broad enough. I don't need to be in on soccer. Yep. And Keep we me in my spot. W- yeah, exactly. We are broadening. And I mean, I was gonna talk with Chris about like Brooks Kepka and all that type of stuff. Yeah, that'd be yeah, and British Open, but like we're in a summer lull right now. Yeah, like, this is like you, the most boring. Like, sports if you want to talk about baseball, yeah. we can. But I'm not like nah. a, like Hyunjin Ryu started the like the All Star game, Korean guy. But like other than that, not like too excited about it. Um, NFL training camps. We'll start NFL up soon. Tr- training camps, fantasy draft, the return of like. All the hoopla that ended up happening with my fantasy league <laughs> is coming back. <laughs> it, and, like, it, yeah, it's already started. Like, I have the fourth pick in the draft. I already know, like, our draft That's order. So and they just sent funny. it, like, two days ago. And, one like, one of my friends. He, is he, complaining. Well, one of my friends already dropped. Like, he's not in the league this year. So, like, I only, like, I've Because <laughs> he was just so sick of it. So, I, I only know personally one guy in the league now. And now I'm just kind of like. And the league. Uh, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. That's so, so like, funny. It's just. Yeah, I, I'm like why talking are, Why so is this podcast crap? still happening? <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep on right. on the soccer. No. What's going to happen with soccer? I'm, European soccer starting up. It starts up in two weeks. Yep. You're, you're going to have some good soccer you're, podcast so coming soccer up. Soccer podcast, football podcast. Maybe we brother. do a post Chicago. Yeah, football podcast. Maybe post we'll Chicago a, shenanigans <laughs> podcast is going to happen. Uh, we'll so see if. Anything is podcast movie. Yeah, yeah, but we'll see what ends up happening. And uh, yeah, thanks guys for listening in. I'm sure you haven't gotten to to this part of the podcast because no, you've turned it off about for 20 minutes ago. So this is just me 
an Andrew ranting, but you got some interesting nuggets about us personally. So thanks again for listening and tuning in. Um, as always, please subscribe and like the podcast and share it with all your friends. So thanks again. And yeah, we will talk to you in probably a week about soccer. See you guys.